0: morning. I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. What a joy indeed it is to come together once again as we look forward to uh, this new year, first Sunday of the year, um, and as we consider um, the, the works of God even in our lives and what he, he does and, and, and how he upholds us. Um, so what I want to do is um, we're starting a a new series, but it's just going to take four weeks. Um, We're going to start a series on the attributes of God, um, titled uh, Knowing God. Um, So it's a series that is titled Knowing God. And um, we're going to start today with uh, the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. And we see that from Daniel chapter 4. Open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 4, verse... verse 34 to 35. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 to 35. This is a testimony that Nebuchadnezzar gives. Let us um, bow our heads to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, what a joy indeed to come to you with the confidence that you speak clearly in your word. Speak to us this morning as you um, draw our hearts to yourself, as you bring us to a knowledge of your sovereignty. May our hearts respond to you with joy and awe. even as we just saying, Lord, that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. May it be a compass that directs us to you, Lord. In the name of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. You see, the beginning of the year usually brings hope to a lot of people. Uh, People look ahead to the year with renewed hope and with with a resolve to do better than they did the previous year. Gyms in January are full because people have resolved to to, 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 to get in shape. Meals look different because many resolve to start eating well. Spending habits are changing because many are resolving to save money. And, 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 and many other things. Uh, these things uh, o- although they are good and and and, and should somehow be encouraged I want to put it to you today that as a Christian, your ultimate lifetime resolve must be the resolve to know God. John MacArthur says this. He says, knowing God is the essence of being a Christian. It it is the essence. It is what makes you a Christian. And this is what Jesus Christ says in, in John chapter 17 verse 2 he says this he says this is eternal life that they may know you talking about god the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent he says eternal life is 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 this it is knowing god When we were going through John chapter 3, verse 16, and and defining eternal life, we looked at the fact that eternal life is not just a matter of the length of years, but it's also about the quality of of life. So so the, the, the quality of the Christian life is found in the fact that we know God. We want to know God. You see, our greatest desire as Christians must be captured in the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, when he says, that I may know him. I mean, verse 10. There's nothing higher, there's nothing greater than that. What must occupy you and I as Christians, or what must consume us more than anything else, must be this very thing, to know God. For for the month of January, as I said, I want us to go through four attributes of God that will help us in this goal of knowing God. We are going to look at the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, the faithfulness of God, and the goodness of God. And, 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 And these are, of course, not meant to be an exhaustive treatment of the attributes of God. But they function in a small way as a diving board to compel us to dive into the pool of God's revelation to know Him more. So this morning we are looking at the sovereignty of God. Let's start with the definition. What is the sovereignty of God? When we talk about the sovereignty of God... What are we talking about? First of all, sovereign as an adjective means one who reigns, right? It, it means to reign or it means to be in control. A.W. Tozer defines the sovereignty of God this way. He says to say that God is sovereign is to say that he is supreme over all things, that there is no one above him, that he is absolute Lord over creation. It is to say that his lordship over creation means that there is nothing out of his control. Nothing that God hasn't foreseen and planned. Close quote. The the, the sovereignty of God speaks of God's reign and, and control over everything in the world. It speaks of the fact that there is nothing that can happen in the world outside the care and approval of God from what we consider to be the, the smallest, the, the minutest detail of life to, to what we consider to be the, 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 the big event of life, they are all under the control of God. We learn this doctrine from a, from a king who came to the knowledge of the sovereignty of God in a hard and humbling way. He, he learned that God in his sovereignty rules over the, kingdom, the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom, whomever he wills. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 and 35, King Nebuchadnezzar learned the reality of God's sovereignty. In, in Nebuchadnezzar in his time was the most powerful, uh, uh, the, the, the powerful king of the most powerful empire in that time. When, when he looked at his mighty empire one day, he was filled with, with pride that he had, he had achieved such power by his ability. He, he was proud of himself. And during his reign, God responds to this pride by making him go crazy for seven years to teach him a lesson. And this lesson was that God, and not Nebuchadnezzar, rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills. This is mainly meant, this is mainly what is meant by the truth that God is sovereign, that he rules and, and that he exercises this rule over all of his creation forever. Here's how, how Nebuchadnezzar described the lesson that he learned. Look at verse 34 and 35 of Daniel chapter 4. He says this. He says, At the end of the of the days, at the end of the days, that is seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him. Who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth. And among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him what have you done this is god's word you see the truth of god's sovereignty is something that all people need to be persuaded of it is one of the ultimate realities that 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 of this universe that god created and we must not only understand and be persuaded of this attribute because it is true, but also because it is one of the most comforting and assuring attributes of God that there is. Charles Spurgeon says, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is a pillow upon which you lay your head. Today, as we look at this passage, we see five ways from Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 and 35, that God is sovereign over all. We, we, we see the sovereignty of God explained in five ways. First of all, we see that God's sovereignty is an unending sovereignty. Look at verse 34. He says, in verse 34b, he says, for his, ki- for his dom- dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. The first thing we learn about God's sovereignty is that it is unending. And not only is God eternal, his sovereignty is also eternal. It is not limited, but it is everlasting. You see, many throughout the years have have claimed to be sovereign, but, but death has proved them wrong over and over again. This kind of foolishness is captured beautifully and vividly in a classic poem uh, poem by uh, Percy Shelley. In the poem, uh, Percy describes a, a ruined statue of an ancient king in an empty desert. Although the, king, the king's statue boastfully says this, it says, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Although it says this, the works, there are no works left to examine. That the king's cities, empire, and power have all disappeared over time. That the rubble only stands as a testimony of the foolishness of the kings, of the king's claim to sovereignty. It is only a statue in an empty desert. That says, "My name is Ozi Mendes, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair while the king is dead and rotting in his grave." You see, brothers and sisters, the word sovereign is an adjective that is only fitting for the God of the Bible. Because he is from everlasting to everlasting. He is an eternal God. Look at that verse again. Verse 34b. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. This, it, it is unending, it is eternal. God always has and always will rule over everything. This is why God bears the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because no matter who rules and listen carefully right? No matter who rules this is the attitude that as Christians we must have. No matter who rules the the kingdoms of, of, of man throughout history only God alone is ultimately reigning at any point in history. We, we can be confident even when we are under a corrupt government that God still reigns. We, we can be confident. We, 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 we don't have to be anxious over the, the kind of politicians that we have because we know our God is on his throne and, and he will never be removed from his throne and his kingdom, his sovereignty is an unending sovereignty. We can be confident about that. The the, the scope of God's rule, the extent of his kingdom, covers all history and all creation. It, It is unending. Let us see this truth established in the Bible. Psalm 22 verse 28, it says, For the kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Psalm 47, verse 7 and 8, it says, For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 103, verse 19, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 to 13, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and all in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Look how he stacks those, those adjectives about God. He is, he is a God whose who's, who's greatness and power and glory and majesty lasts forever. God also rules in the individual lives of people. It is not only over kingdoms, but also in the lives of individuals, in the lives of his, his, his children, in the lives of, of everyone in the world. The, 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 even the, the minutest details of our lives are under the, the control of God. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, Paul says, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined, listen to this, God having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. So when you find yourself in quiet Rustenbeck, thinking that you deserve to maybe live in a big city, Think about this. God is sovereign and he, you are where God wants you to be in that season of your life. Instead of complaining about it, you should seek to honor God and serve him in that city. When you live in the sovereignty of God, when you live in light of the sovereignty of God, you, you do not have to be anxious about anything. You don't have to complain about anything that the sovereignty of God is a remedy against anxiety because it tells you that God is in control, that God rules and reigns. The minutest details of our lives, the decisions that we make are all under the hand of God. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way but the lord establishes his paths sometimes we plan right we plan big plans especially as we 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 start the year and are looking ahead We, we make these plans but but sometimes and many times our plans don't go our way why because we are not god God is only sovereign. He's not only sovereign over nations, over kings, and and over individual lives. He's also sovereign over, as I said, the minutest details of our lives. Look at Matthew ten, verse twenty-nine and thirty-one. I love this. Jesus says this to his disciples: Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And, and, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your heads are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Do you hear how even insignificant things in our minds are still under the rule and reign of God? A, a, a sparrow and that is in the, in the wild that nobody sees. If it falls to the ground, God knew. God did not overlook it. Even the hairs of our heads are all numbered. Isn't that amazing? As I was thinking about this, uh, that the worst punishment... To give to an individual would be to make them count hair. And you just imagine how strenuous that exercise will be. But God doesn't need to count it one by one, He already knows. He already knows. And the fact that He knows is a great comfort because. If he knows this minutest details of life, he knows about you. He he knows what you go through. He he knows the pain that you experience. And if this is the case, then pain is not insignificant. Pain does not come without a purpose. If God is in control over everything, then when we understand his sovereignty, we start to understand pain. So in short, there is no end to God's sovereignty. Secondly, we see that God's sovereignty is unparalleled or unmeshed. Look at verse 35a. Verse 35a, he says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. The second thing that we learn here is that his sovereignty is unparalleled. It is unmeshed. Nebuchadnezzar states that before God, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Now, this does not mean that mankind is worthless. This is not what the king is saying. It means that in comparison to God, any human being, it doesn't matter the level of education they have it doesn't matter their background or their their social economic status it doesn't matter who whether they are a king or a slave they are accounted as nothing in comparison to god i think you must say amen to that we are nothing compared to god And don't miss the fact that the person who is saying this is is, is the most powerful man on planet Earth at the time. The, the, The reason God had Nebuchadnezzar go crazy for seven years and restored him was to teach him that it was God who was actually ruling all things all alone and that he can take or give his kingdom whenever and whomever he wills. God, as Nebuchadnezzar says, is the most high. The sovereignty of God remains one of the most important lessons of our lives. That there is only one God. And you and I are not him. You see, God's rule is unmeshed. It is unparalleled. Even by the world's most powerful kings. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, Solomon says that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He tends it wherever he wills. God's rule is unparalleled. By, by even the most powerful created being, Satan himself. If you read Job chapter 1 and 2, you, you see Satan under the rule of God. That, that even though Satan is roaming around looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to tempt, he is still a dog on a leash. He does not roam around freely. He needed permission from God to attack Job in any way. When you think about God's sovereignty, God's kingdom, in comparison to the kingdoms of men, it is indispensable. We hear silly things in, in our day, right? We hear things like the ANC will rule until Jesus comes that uh, Mugabe will be president until Jesus comes. How silly are those things when you compare them to the eternal God? God's kingdom is indispensable. It it is unparalleled. It is unmeshed. It lasts forever. It will thrive. It It cannot be meshed. And we can be confident in that, that we are in the kingdom of God, and we will be in the kingdom of God. And this kingdom will not one day have, we, we will not get a notice of saying, you need to, to, to leave. <laughs> because there are no funds to keep this kingdom going anymore. When we are with God in that last day, we know that it is going to be forever. So the sovereignty of God is unending. It is unparalleled. And thirdly, the sovereignty of God is according to his will. It is according to his will. Look at verse 35b. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. The third thing that we see is that it is according to his will. This is why Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 tells us it says, God, it calls God him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is what Psalm, Psalm 115, verse 3, means when it says that God who is in the heavens does all that he pleases. And this is what Psalm 134 verse 5 to 6 means when it says that whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. You see, what God wants to do will happen. It cannot be thwarted, it cannot be stopped, it cannot be postponed. What God wants to do will happen. And I want to be clear here. Only what God ultimately wills will happen in history. And now we must make a distinction between what many theologians call God's revealed will and God's secret will. Right? This distinction is simply uh, takes into account that there are certain things that God does not will in in one sense because they they move history towards accomplishing his ultimate will for eternity. Right? Like sin. God does not will sin. But God governs sin. Now now I'll show you um, as we continue. Uh, the fact that God's sovereignty or reign is according to his will means that at the end of history, at the end of the day, only what God has willed will ultimately have taken place. This is precisely why James cautions us as Christians to, to pray and plan with such a perspective in life. He, he calls us not to trust in ourselves, but to rely and resign to God's will. Remember James chapter 4, verse 13 to 15? He says, Come now, you who say, tomorrow, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. The will of God will always prevail, even on the smallest thing. You see, if you took a thousand dice, uh, is it a dice? Yes, in your hands and and threw them, every single result from the rolling of those dice will be according to God's plan. That's what the Bible says. That's not me. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 33 says the Lord is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. It doesn't matter how you throw it. It's every decision is from the Lord. So we see first of all that God's Sovereignty is unending. Secondly, it it, it is unmeshed. It is is unparalleled. And thirdly, it is according to his will. And fourth and and, and, and last, God's sovereignty is unstoppable. God's sovereignty is unstoppable. Look at 35C. It says, none can stay his hand. None can stay his hand. The fourth thing that we learn about God's rule or sovereignty is that it is unstoppable. No one can stay his hand. Uh, This is the same lesson that Job learned in Job chapter 42 verse 1 and 2. He says, The Bible says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Uh, This is the same truth that Isaiah would declare in in, in Isaiah 46, verse 8 to 11, when he says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other, I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bed of prey from the east, the men of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass, I have proposed, and I will do it. Many have tried to frustrate the plans of God only to discover that in their evil motives to frustrate the plans of God, they actually advance the plans of God. They soon learn that to go against God is like playing Russian roulette with a fully loaded gun. You shoot yourself every single time. When Joseph's brothers, in their evil plans thought that selling him into slavery would destroy him and his dreams they didn't know that God was still in control that God did not leave the wheel so to say in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 Joseph says to them at the end after all is done he says as for you, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, you meant evil, but in that God meant it for good. That's all in the life of Christ, when when evil men Pontius Pilate and Herod gathered together against Jesus Christ, thinking to put him to death. The apostles say in their prayer, in in chapter 4, verse 28, they say that they gathered unwittingly to do what God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. The the, the killing of Jesus Christ did not stop him, but it, it advanced God's plan from eternity past to redeem his elect through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Why do you think, brothers and sisters, as we pray for these countries that are being persecuted, doesn't it click in your mind to say, why don't these people just give it all up? I mean, that's easy, right? They won't be persecuted anymore. But we keep hearing over and over and over again that Christianity is thriving in these kind of countries. That the more they try to put out the fire of Christianity, the more it burns, burns strongly. You see, when people try to destroy the plans of God, they find themselves, at the end of the day, having advanced them. The reality that God's rule is unstoppable should cause our, the, the heart of God's people to be filled with hope, with, with confidence and, and boldness in the face of all the obstacles that we face. It is because of God's rule uh, that is unstoppable that we, we have hope and confidence as the people of God in taking the gospel to the ends of the world. Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Shall not prevail against it. As we look at the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar here and how he explains the sovereignty of God, he shows us how the sovereignty of God is unending. How it is unmeshed. How it is according to his will. And how it is unstoppable. Let me give you one last point. A bonus point here about the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty is unquestionable. God's sovereignty is unquestionable. Look at that last bit in in, in verse 35. He says... None can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? The final thing that we learn here about God's sovereignty is that it is unquestionable. This does not mean, of course that no one can question god or or that it is wrong to question god in humility and brokenness and faith but it does mean that as finite created beings we have no right to question god or or, or in distrust as to as to what he has done no one can ask god what in the world do you think you're doing status. We we can't question God in this way because he is simply God. The the sovereignty of God is a declaration to all of us that God is God. And to question the sovereignty of God is to try to de-God God. He gets what he wants. Secondly, He he, he, he only does what is ultimately good and wise and therefore what is best. God, only God always knows what he is doing. Jerry Bridges says it most beautifully. He says, God in his love wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he knows what is best for us. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. To conclude... I want to address a few questions that naturally arise when people hear someone like this. If God truly rules in this way, if he reigns in this way, many are moved to ask about the presence of evil in the world and if any of our choices are real, right? First, to ask that God is sovereign To to say that God is sovereign means that though God is not the source of any evil, nor is he directly responsible for it, he does rule over it. The source of evil that we see in in the scripture is not God, but but creatures that have rebelled against their good creator. He, He did not create a world in which evil exists, however, he did create a world in which the potential of evil existed a world where creatures could exercise free choice. Uh, this helps us understand the difference between how God relates to good and evil. God relates to goodness directly as its source. Remember James chapter 1, verse 17, that all good things are from God, right? He, he relates to goodness as its source. He, re- he relates directly to goodness. And, and he relates to evil indirectly, as its sovereign guide. In other words, as we saw in, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, that although the, the, the Joseph's brothers were evil in their intent, God in his intent used that evil to save the world. Even in Jesus Christ, right? Ultimately. The second, because we are creatures who exercise free choice, we are also creatures who are responsible for those choices. Uh, God's sovereignty does not negate human responsibility. We must always remember that God holds us responsible for every thought, for every word and deed that takes place in our lives. Sin, brothers and sisters, will be reckoned with, will be reckoned with either on the cross or on the judgment seat of Christ. Sin will be dealt with. What is the appropriate response when we hear about the sovereignty of God? When we hear that God is sovereign, we find that answer to this question from Nebuchadnezzar. Look at how he starts his testimony. He says, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. The only appropriate response to the sovereignty of God is worshipful surrender. It's to surrender to Him in trust, in worship, in hope. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you rule over everything. The fact that we pray is, is how we also acknowledge your sovereignty because we know that everything is under your control and you are the one who, who changes things, who, who decrees things, who upholds us and keeps us and cares for us. May our hearts be encouraged in the knowledge of the fact that you're sovereign. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.